Hello, this is Sean Dixon, and I'm here with Brian Patterson and John Gonzalez. We are each returned mission presidents for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and this is the Preach My Gospel Mission Prep Podcast. We are here to help prepare you to become successful Preach My Gospel missionaries and lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. In each episode, we explore powerful concepts from every chapter in Preach My Gospel. We will talk to return missionaries and others about their experiences and insights. You can even use this podcast to get institute credit. Let's get started. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Preach My Gospel Mission Prep Podcast. We're excited to be back with you again and to be able to record another episode together. I'm here with John and Brian, and today our task is to discuss lesson number two, the plan of salvation. And I can't think of anything that I'd rather sit around a table and and talk about than our Heavenly Father's plan and, and the means by which God has designed to, to save all of his children. So looking forward to this. How are you doing today, Brian? Doing great. I'm excited to dig in and, and uh, learn more about the plan of salvation from you two. Yeah, how about you, John? As I re-studied this in preparation for our visit today, it brought back excitement to study the plan of salvation and, and this aspect of the gospel. This is really one of those things that has, has come to the earth through the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have learned answers to the most fundamental questions that people have out there. People seem to have these questions of the soul where these unanswered things that that they just, they want to know who they are. They want to know what their purpose is here on, on earth life. And most people, I think, wander through life just feeling like there's not a whole lot of purpose to what they're doing. And so when we can bring these doctrines to them that actually answer the questions of their soul. I just remember as a missionary just seeing people light up. Sean, remind us of that experience you had on your mission. I'll never forget this. His name was Abraham, and he was a Bible scholar. He knew way more about the scriptures and the Bible than I ever knew at age 19. He was a mature man, and he let us in just because he was the type of person that any knowledge on the scriptures that he could gain, he was anxiously looking for it. And so when we taught him lesson two about the, the plan of salvation, it was so amazing to watch him light up. And he would talk about what he understood, and, and then we would share the, the truths of the plan. And when we got to the end of the plan, Abraham looked to us and he said, he said, you know, my whole life I feel like I've been putting together a puzzle. Of, of the truth of, of God's plan. And he goes, I've had some just really key pieces that were missing that I've always been frustrated. I've had questions that I could never get answers to. And he said, tonight, you gave me the mis- missing pieces. And I just saw his face light up, and it was so fun to be able to help fill in the gaps. One of our missionaries returned home after serving his mission, uh, met a beautiful girl uh, who was a convert to the church, and she shared with him that it was during the plan of salvation lesson when her missionaries were teaching her that she felt a deep desire to follow the Savior and be baptized. It had that much influence on her. Learning the truths and the importance of the Savior and the plan just touched her heart to the degree that she wanted to act. She wanted to be baptized. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big uh, BYU football fan, <clears throat> and Saturday night I was in the stadium when BYU beat ninth-ranked Baylor. And 
there was just this feeling like everyone wanted to rush the field and you know jump over the railings. It was it was such this this feeling of excitement. And I can honestly say that I had moments on my mission teaching people eternal truths and seeing those truths click in their mind and having it change their life, that the emotion or the feeling of being part of that was was greater than being at a, a sporting event when, when everybody's jumping up and down. I mean, this literally impacts somebody's eternal salvation. And that's something I, I just, I think as missionaries, I hope you look forward to that. There's There's a lot of things you'll hear about serving a mission where people talk about, oh, it's hard and it it's a grind and, and all those things. But those moments when you're in a lesson and you get to teach people truths that they've been looking for their whole life, I don't think there's anything much more fun or rewarding to do than to be part of that. I'm curious, why does this lesson resonate so much with individuals? As I'm thinking about... Um what might connect with people. We often have a saying in the world, and it's usually true. We say, it's not about you. But when it comes to the plan of salvation, it might just be all about you. It's about our Heavenly Father creating a plan that will allow us to return and live with Him forever. His work and His glory is to help us. And so maybe maybe people identify with the plan of salvation because they see how it's going to help them really receive what they most desire, greater happiness, greater peace in this world, a purpose in this life, if you will, and something greater to come. I think everybody really longs to go home. There's just that natural feeling of this this place called home that we all want to be. And the plan of salvation teaches people how to get home, how to get into that place where they're with their heavenly father, where they're with their family, where they're in that place of peace and and eternal joy, that it's worth anything to figure out how to get home. You know, they're lost. They're on a journey here and so many people don't know how to get home. And what we're going to do with this lesson is teach them how to get there and how to, to, to be in the presence of God again and to fulfill their purpose here on the earth. When you think about this, we'll talk about this in the lesson, the idea of the pre-mortal life, and that people there in the pre-mortal life accepted this plan already. They came to earth with the idea that, that they had already embraced this plan, and then the veil comes over their eyes, and there's just a lot of them that have technically forgotten it, but I think this plan is still in their spiritual DNA. And I found sometimes it was almost like as I taught this, I was just reminding them of something they already knew rather than teaching them something completely new. It was just, it was almost putting words to what they felt inside was true. I think we are creating an awakening for them to remember. I think that's beautiful. The analogy of when a puzzle piece fits, you know, if you've ever done a puzzle, you're, you know, this doesn't quite fit. But when that little piece fits, the sense of I'm complete sense of satisfaction that comes from that. One thing that oftentimes happens when you're teaching the plan of salvation is that it can be reduced to a talk almost like this blueprint of locations that you travel to, where you've come from and where you're going to go. And it's just almost this travel through this blueprint. And oftentimes 
the, the role of the atonement of Jesus Christ or the Savior Jesus Christ gets lost in that process. This isn't just to teach them about locations. This is to teach them how they can be saved and how that can happen through Jesus Christ. I think we have to keep that paramount as we go through the lesson. And I think the diagram in Preach My Gospel on page 55, that underscores what you just said, Sean, because it gives the timeline of of the plan, but underscoring all of that is the atonement of Jesus Christ makes salvation possible. I think missionaries need to recognize that the foundation to this plan is the atonement of Jesus Christ. Elder Nilly Maxwell, uh, in talking about the plan, said the Lord has described his plan of redemption as the plan of happiness. Conversationally, we reference this great design almost too casually at times. We even sketch its root outlines on chalkboards and paper as if it were the floor plan for an addition to one's house. However, when we really th- take time to ponder the plan, it is breathtaking and overpowering. And I think as missionaries, we, we can perhaps get distracted or get so caught up in diagramming this plan that we miss the power of it. The part that's really breathtaking is to stop and think about the love of our Heavenly Father, the love of a Savior to come down and redeem us, to save us and provide an opportunity for us through Him to come back. How does a missionary accomplish that? There's a tendency of missionaries of getting into a, quote, teaching mode, and so I have to have all these uh, diagrams or, or pictures in order to enable my teaching effort. How does a missionary get to accomplish what Elder Maxwell is helping us understand? I think for me it, it starts back with, a missionary being excited themselves about this plan. You know, I think the question we would ask all of the listeners is, have you studied this to, to the extent that it's clicked for you? You're like, oh, I get it now. This is who I am. This is where I came from. And this is how I get back home. And this has changed and transformed my life. And then when I talk about it, we've talked about this in previous episodes I can talk about it out of my own changed heart with enthusiasm, with excitement, because I'm feeling it. And I think when we communicate that, um, it's going to come across a lot more, more powerful. When we talk about why it's breathtaking to me, then I think that becomes contagious in the lesson. Uh, I asked my mission prep students to go through lesson two and identify the doctrine that it teaches, and then associate all the doctrine with the scripture. And that was a little overwhelming for them. So I said, well, in the blue boxes, you're going to get a lot of help to do that. And it was fun for them to go through, for example, in the first principle, premortal life, God's purpose and plan for us. God is the father of our spirits. Hebrews 12.9 teaches us that from the blue box. We are literally his children. Acts 17.29, we lived as spirit children of our Father in heaven before he was born on this earth. Jeremiah 1.5, all the doctrine here comes from the scriptures. And so I think the plan of salvation provides a great opportunity to open the scriptures and help uh, 
the people that were teaching see the missing puzzle pieces are actually right there in the scriptures, uh, and we can connect those pieces for them. Uh, Because of the restoration of the gospel and having a prophet on the earth, once again, prophets have helped us see the doctrine that is in the scriptures and helped us connect with that. For example, many of the people that we teach don't have an understanding that we lived with God before we came here. And yet, if I were to open up Jeremiah chapter 1, and simply uh, verse 5, and simply ask the question, when did a relationship between Jeremiah and God begin? In Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And to to have a brief discussion, to say, when did Jeremiah have a relationship? When did that relationship with God begin? And to discover that that relationship began before he was even in his mother's womb. What does that teach you about you? that God knew you before you were even born. How would that change your relationship with God here? How would that influence the decisions that you might make in life uh, to know that, that God had a relationship with you before you were born? And yet, most of the people we teach who love the Bible know nothing of a life before this one, that there was a relationship. And so I think when we discover that for ourselves in the scriptures and then help other people discover it for themselves in the scriptures and see themselves in it, mm-hmm. what, what did Elder Maxwell say? Breathtaking. Overpowering. Right. That, that I had a relationship with God before I even came here. The power of the word, really, it does. When you, when you share scriptures, it brings such power to a lesson. Brian, you asked a few of your missionaries, I think through a, through text or email about kind of their thoughts about teaching the plan. And there was one in particular that, that you were highlighting to John and I before. Would you mind sharing that with us? So I loved what one of our sister missionaries shared as she reflected back on teaching lesson two, the plan of salvation. Hi, my name is Kaylee Carson. I served in the California Long Beach Mission. My advice for missionaries to teach the plan of salvation is to keep it as simple as possible. It can be really easy to get caught up in all the different steps and the specifics of the kingdoms because they seem really important to us and they are important, but those specifics can really easily obscure the true overarching theme of the plan of salvation, which is of course that we can live with our father in heaven again through the gospel of Jesus Christ. People will learn more about the specific doctrines about kingdoms after baptisms through their member lessons, but before baptism, the focus of every lesson should always point them back to the doctrine of Christ. And the plan of salvation should really help them see why following Christ is so important. And that perspective then puts lesson three in proper context. So with that in mind, let's try to follow her advice and we'll start talking about those doctrines and hopefully focusing on the, the parts that are, that are most essential. There is a quote here by 
Boyd K. Packer, where he said, quote, no more profound truth has been conveyed to us in the restoration than the knowledge of a premortal existence. No other church knows or teaches this truth. The doctrine is given only in outline form, but salient facts are repeated often enough in the revelations to assure us of certain fundamental truths. And so that was kind of a revelation to me that when we start off this lesson and we start talking about the premortal life, we're actually talking about things that, that people have not really heard before or have not come to understand. But in my experience, this was not something I found a lot of resistance to. This is something that seemed to ring true to people. Why, why would Elder Packer or President Packer say that no more profound truth has been conveyed to us in the restoration than a knowledge of the premortal life? What is it about this doctrine of the premortal life that is so powerful and beautiful and relatable to people? There's so much power in understanding that I came from my Father in heaven, which helps me now live my life but everyone has challenges and i think that allows us to cope with life's everyday challenges i think it ties to our identity when i understand where i came from uh and and who i am there's power in understanding my true identity and we live in a world where people are trying to figure out their true identity we we label ourselves as many things um, but there is one label that's more important than all other labels, and it's taught here in, in this first principle where it says we are literally his children and he loves us. That meets the fundamental need that every person has to know who they are as children of God and that he loves us. He's not angry with us. He's not trying to get us. You know, he's not trying to catch us doing wrong things. He loves us as a father. I remember teaching a single sister with a, with a 12-year-old son. And as we taught the plan of salvation uh, and, and, and taught her that she was a, a daughter of Heavenly Father, a daughter of God, she was a very average investigator. She was kind but not that engaged. But there was something about her understanding her true identity as a daughter of God and that he deeply loves her. And throughout the lesson, we'd emphasize how much he loved her. The plan just teaches us how much God loves us. Uh, everything for her changed. Uh, I remember we, we stopped and we began to sing with her the hymn, I am a child of God in Spanish. And tears just came down her eyes as she for the first time understood her true identity in this world. So I think if I'm a missionary, one of the things I would want to help people understand is, is that God has a plan and a purpose for us. This idea that there, there's a plan. Um, we, we find many names to the plan. The Book of Mormon highlights the word plan more than any other book of Scripture. And that's why we need the Book of Mormon is it clearly teaches God has a specific plan and purpose for all of his children. As we think about some of the names of the plan, we see things like a, plan, a merciful plan or the plan of happiness, a plan of redemption, a plan of salvation, a plan of deliverance. What, 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 
do these names teach us about the plan? I can return to my Father in heaven. This plan allows a, an opportunity for me to get back on track, for me to stay on track, uh, for me to focus on where I'm going. All those words, deliverance, deliverance from what? Deliverance from my state of confusion, deliverance from my, my state of uh, unworthiness, all, all of those words, uh, merciful, uh, uh, all of those to me connotes an opportunity to return to my Father in heaven, a loving Father who has his arms outstretched. Come home. Come home to me. Do you have a favorite title for the plan? Is there one that resonates with you more than others? I think I love them all, but one that comes to my mind right now is the great plan of happiness. To me, that's the the, the driving force in my life is is wanting to be happy and wanting to be in a place of peace and joy for eternity, not just a temporary fix. But and, and I that's what I found that the plan has has brought me great happiness. How about for you? Do you have a favorite one? Well, I, I, I also resonate with the plan of happiness. Two missionaries were walking through a park and they, they saw a man on a bench. Uh, he had a broken leg and they approached him and they asked him a simple question. What, what makes you really, really happy? And the man's response came as a bit of a surprise to them. Leader of wine. That makes you really happy? Yeah. They, they then taught a brief plan of salvation lesson. And afterwards, they asked the question, now what in what we taught would make you really, really happy? That's actually when the conversation began, as they, as they began to explore in his life uh, the, those elements of things that would really, really make him happy. And they were able to then use and go back and teach some of the important doctrines that, that would help this man really discover greater happiness in his life. The thing that strikes me is that Heavenly Father has a plan, which tells me that he wants us to become like him. He's not just out to catch me doing something bad so he can eliminate me from, from a kingdom someday. He has a plan devised to help every one of his children come back. And that just makes me feel his love as well, to know that he's planned for me to succeed. And that experience with that man in the park, his understanding of the world was so singular focused on what brought him relief, uh, what brought him deliverance, that once he was taught and his understanding expanded, then whatever he thought brought him relief was not only insignificant, but no longer brought him the relief. He now had a greater understanding uh, that allowed him the real deliverance he was looking for. So from there, the, the plan had to kick off. We had to have a place to go. Right? We had to have a place where we could, we could go and learn and grow and experience what we needed to experience to become like God. And so, so that's where, where we, we moved into the creation. I want to ask you, too, a question. Which of these answers is most important? The why of the creation, the how the earth was created, or the who created it? 
Are, are there, of those three things, I don't know if we say one most important, but is there one of those things that's less important than the others? The why is most important for me, and closely associated with that is who. And yet when people talk about the creation, often their conversation is all about how long did it take to create the earth? They, they get into a necessary, uh, unnecessary crisis of faith or a battle with science over how many millions of years versus 6,000 years, and, and they get hung up on that and miss the, the much deeper point about the fact that, that Heavenly Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ, created a place whereby the plan of salvation could take place. And I think that's the simple truth that missionaries need to teach is the, the why and the who. Well, look at page 49 and preach my gospel. That concept, the creation, is one small paragraph with its associated uh, scriptural uh, references, the doctrinal points. We've established now the, the why of the creation. Next, as a missionary, we would introduce and teach the, the fall of Adam and Eve. What do you think would be critical uh, for those that we're teaching to understand about the, the fall of Adam and Eve? It's a great question, Brian. This is a very complex doctrine, and we could spend hours getting into the details of, of the choice that Adam and Eve made. I think when we're all done teaching this concept, what's most important is we set up the need for the Savior. And the way we set up the need for the Savior is to help us understand why we need a Savior. What, what happened because of the fall that caused us to actually need Jesus Christ? So if, if we were to go into Genesis chapter 3, if that's all we had about the fall of Adam and Eve, what would we conclude, Brian, about the, the fall of Adam and Eve? I think it's like verses 17, 18. Well, perhaps we might conclude that um, Adam and Eve made a mistake uh, this was in great error. This was somehow counter to the plan of our Heavenly Father. We would then perhaps want to place blame on Adam and Eve for the problems and the challenges that we experience in this life, right? And uh, uh, I think that typically for those that we teach, the, the fall was a very negative thing. The only thing really talked about there in Genesis 3 are the negative consequences of the fall, almost as if, okay, Adam and Eve, you made this mistake, here's your punishment. And then I think people today associate their punishment ongoing in, in our, each of our own lives. Weeds and thistles and thorns and work and, and all of this we can blame on, on Adam and Eve. And I think it's so significant what the Book of Mormon adds to our understanding of the fall of Adam and Eve. If we go to 2 Nephi chapter 2, verses 17 through 25, it completely transforms um, our understanding of, 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 of the impact of the choices of Adam and Eve there. There's some wonderful things. Um, do you have any thoughts about what the Book of Mormon has added to our understanding of the fall of Adam and Eve? I think you've referenced Second Nephi chapter two, and I think it's one of the best places to better understand the fall. Yeah, look at look at verse twenty one of Second Nephi two. 
And the days of the children of men were prolonged according to the will of God, that they might repent while in the flesh. Wherefore, their state became a state of probation. Their time was lengthened according to the commandments which the Lord God gave unto the children of man. For he gave commandment that all men must repent. For he showed unto all men that they were lost because of the transgression of their parents. And now behold, this is the key here. If Adam had not transgressed, he would not have fallen, but he would have remained in the Garden of Eden. And all things which were created must have remained in the same state in which they were after they were created. And they must have remained forever and had no end. And they would have had no children. Wherefore, they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin. And then verse 24 tells us, But behold, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. Adam fell that men might be, and men are, that they might have joy. Just think the contrast there, not to diminish the Bible, but, but we know that many plain and precious truths were taken from the Bible, and we have an opportunity here with the fall to show the impact, the positive impact that the choice of Adam and Eve had on the world in, in helping us to come down to earth and be able to participate in the plan of salvo- salvation, right? Linking the creation to the fall, to the atonement, President Nelson said that the purpose of the earth is to exalt the family. So God formed and organized this earth so that a family could be created. Adam and Eve fell and partook of the fruit and fell from the Garden of Eden so that their family could grow. And Christ ultimately would come so that that family could be exalted. And so there in those three pillars of eternity, the creation, the fall, and the atonement of Jesus Christ, we see the purpose of God's plan, and that's to lift and exalt this family, his family, uh, to live with him forever. I think one of the challenges of teaching um, the, the fall is that there can remain within us sometimes some confusion about why, why would God command them to, to not partake of the fruit, and yet that, that's what helped propel the plan forward. And again, I think the scriptures are helpful in, in, back in 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 15, and to bring about his eternal purposes in the end of man. That line is so important that to bring about his eternal purposes in the end of man. And we know that his purpose is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of his children. It says in, in, in that verse, continuing, after he had created our first parents and the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air and in fine all things which are created, it must needs be that there was an opposition, even the forbidden fruit in opposition to the tree of life, the one being sweet and the other bitter. Wherefore the Lord... God gave unto man that he should act for himself, wherefore man could not act for himself, save it should be that he was enticed by the one or the other. Uh, And so I I think it's important. We can get really lost in that and in why, but when we understand that for the plan to work, Adam and Eve needed to have a choice. They needed to be able to choose. Uh, in this case, there needed to be an opposition so that they could choose to partake of the fruit and really propel the plan forward. Let's listen to a little clip here from Elder Hafen about this subject. 
The fall wasn't a disaster. It wasn't a mistake or an accident. It was a deliberate part of the plan of salvation. We are God's spirit offspring, sent to earth innocent of Adam's transgression, and yet our Father's plan subjects us to temptation and misery in this fallen world as the price to comprehend authentic joy. Without tasting the bitter, we can't understand the sweet. We require mortality's discipline and refinement as the next step in our development toward becoming like our Father. But growth means growing pains. It also means learning from our mistakes in a continual process made possible by the Savior's grace, which He extends both during and after all we can do. It's powerful, isn't it, to, to, to think of that? I think as we move forward, I th- we, we need to identify what were the results of the fall that made it so that we needed a Savior to move forward. So when Adam partook of the fruit, he didn't just drop dead, but he became immortal. He had the seeds of death within him. And what that basically meant was that he would eventually die and his body and his spirit would become separated from each other. And there would be no way to have body and spirit come back together through any effort that man could make. And so that, that established one important obstacle that, that was going to need to be solved. The other one the word death actually means separation. And so spiritual death came, which doesn't mean that our spirits ceased to exist, but they became separate from God. And so there had to be a way for us to overcome that spiritual separation. And again, that was not something that could be done by ourselves. The third thing I think that sometimes we don't talk about a lot is just adversity, sorrow, difficulty, trial, pain. This was something else that, that we couldn't really deal with on our own. We needed somebody to help us with those issues. So as I teach this particular part of the lesson, I want to help the people I'm teaching understand the fall brought about physical death, which is a major obstacle. It brought about spiritual death, and it brought about some really difficult conditions that I would need help enduring. And those those deficits make me now say, wow, I need a savior. I need somebody to pull me out of this double deep pit that I'm in and to help me overcome these things. How can I do it? And Sean, you've just explained the next concept, our life on earth. That's what our life on earth is. Absolutely. All of these things. Overcoming those obstacles through the Savior Jesus Christ. So as we understand the the fall of Adam and Eve, we're living with those three obstacles, which causes us to desperately need help. How am I going to overcome physical death? How am I going to overcome spiritual death? And how am I going to be given the strength to do all the things that I need to do in this fallen world? And, And that's where Jesus Christ and his atonement come into play. So how does the atonement of Jesus Christ Help me overcome physical death. Great question. Thoughts, Brian? We overcome physical death through the the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and ultimately through his resurrection. Uh, Three days after his death, he, he rose again, and that's the great message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that through him we can overcome the effects of the fall we can overcome the effects of, of death. What, what grieves so many people in this world uh, 
is that they they lose loved ones uh, and and that grief is so great but we have the good news that one who died lived again and this ultimate triumph over death is the the greatest of all miracles that we can once again be restored back to the presence of our Heavenly Father. And it's a gift that's free for all, whether good or bad, tall or short. Uh, All of God's children, this is a gift because of Jesus Christ. All will be restored back to the presence of our Heavenly Father and overcome death. And remember the, the purpose scripture that we've read before in Moses 139. Behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. By overcoming physical death, we become immortal. And so we can put a, a little check mark by that aspect of the Savior's mission. When he died and was resurrected, that made it so that everybody could overcome physical death. I love how you said, Brian, it's, it's a free gift. And, um, you know, I, I never got to meet my grandpa. Uh, I heard legendary stories about him. And it's so comforting for me to know that someday I'll be able to see him again, that when he left this life, it's not over, that through Jesus Christ, he can be resurrected and, and that I can have a relationship with him. The other part that's so beautiful about this doctrine is, is those that have physical handicaps or emotional or mental handicaps. The, the message of the resurrection is that we can be restored to a perfect state. And I think that's very comforting. There's not very many people in this world that, that don't go through this life with some aspect that feels broken to them. And Jesus Christ, through his atonement, provides the hope through the resurrection that we can overcome any of those serious challenges. As Paul taught in 1 Corinthians, for as in, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. How does the atonement help me overcome spiritual death? When, when I make a mistake, I, I feel void of the Spirit and I'm separated. Yeah, I think it goes back to the doctrine of Christ. What is our part to overcome spiritual death? His part was to atone for our sins, to pay the price for the, those sins. He did that in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and on the cross. What's my part? My part is to exercise faith in Jesus Christ, to believe in that sacrifice, to trust him and to, to give my heart to him, to turn away from sin and turn towards Jesus Christ, which will then lead me into this feeling of godly sorrow and a desire to align myself with Christ through repentance and to then move forward and to, to make a commitment to Christ through, through baptism and, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So, so that covenant path is the way that Jesus has outlined that we can overcome spiritual death and get back into his presence. So as a missionary, I never again want to depart from my purpose. Uh, as I teach the plan of salvation, I want to teach uh, all people that through Jesus Christ they can they can be restored back to the presence of our Heavenly Father. And it's through the doctrine of Christ that you just described. Yeah, there's no other way. This, this is the way, this is the only way that we can overcome spiritual death. Physical death, we overcome for free. It's a free gift. Spiritual death requires us to do our part. It requires us to come unto Christ. 
And he has certain things that, that he has asked us to do in order to do that. And as missionaries, that's really what it comes down to here is now this is where you come into play, helping the people that you teach be able to benefit from that atonement of Jesus Christ by showing them what he expects of them. I love how Elder Renlund talks about we can receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ and his atonement when we repent. But another thing that we can receive through Jesus Christ is the strength not to return to that sin. Um, in the Bible dictionary under the, under the t- uh, title of grace, it talks about how grace is a divine means of help or strength given through the bounteous mercy and love of Jesus Christ. Through faith in the atonement of Jesus Christ and repentance of their sins, we can receive strength and assistance to do good works that they otherwise would not be able to maintain if left to their own means. And so the the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ also is this enabling power that enables us to do all the difficult things that we have to do here on earth. One of them is repenting, but another one is being a missionary. (laughs) And like, how do I have the strength to, to follow the missionary schedule? It comes through the atonement of Jesus Christ and his enabling power. How do I teach by the Spirit? It's through the enabling power of Jesus Christ. How do I deal with the death of my mom? or cancer, or anything else that mortality gives to me, the answer is to turn to Jesus Christ. And through his atonement, you can receive the strength that you need to do all things. So what's beautiful is to think about there are only two things that keep us from God's presence. It's physical death and spiritual death. And the atonement of Jesus Christ covers both. And through my exercise of faith and trust in him, I can also get additional help to meet the demands that mortal life brings. And that statement on page 52 of Preach My Gospel, all that is unfair about life can be made right through the atonement of Jesus Christ. To me, that's a very powerful statement. The mission of, of the prophets, seers, and revelators is to be special witnesses of Jesus Christ in all the world. And we've talked in a previous episode about how they also have delegated that responsibility to all of us as missionaries to bear witness that, as you called it, Brian, the good news is that Jesus Christ has come to this earth and he has provided a way whereby we can overcome the obstacles of mortality. We can overcome the fall and the effects of it. And in the process, we can become like our Heavenly Father. And inevitably, we'll come to a point in life when we pass away. And that was part of the plan as well. Uh, President Nelson has called it the, the doors of death. Sometimes come, will, will eventually come upon all of us where we pass through that door to the next phase of the plan of salvation. But through that door, there's this, this beautiful place that's called the spirit world. And the plan continues there in the spirit world. John, what would you say would be important for a, a missionary? There's a lot we could say about the spirit, spirit world, but what would be important for a missionary to focus on and teach with regard to that doctrine? We continue, our personalities, everything we are continues in this spirit world after life as we await for the final resurrection of all mankind and the judgment. So it's only a waiting 
place and that uh, there are opportunities for continued teaching in this waiting place where the gospel of Jesus Christ and the doctrine of Jesus Christ is being taught to all mankind. I like how it says in here in, on page 52 under the header of the spirit world, those who chose to obey God in this life live in a state of happiness, peace, and rest from troubles and care. Sounds pretty, pretty amazing, right? But it also says then those who chose not to obey in this life and did not repent live in a state of happy, unhappiness. In the spirit world, the gospel is preached to those who did not obey the gospel or have the opportunity to hear it while on earth. So seems to be two divisions. We sometimes call it paradise, this place of happiness where those who have been righteous and have received all of the saving ordinances go. Then there's this other place where those who have, have rejected Christ or have not obeyed go, and they're in a state of unhappiness. And I love it that God has a, a part of his plan is that those who have been righteous can go reach out to those who are in a state of unhappiness and teach them and, and help lead them to, to repent of their sins, but also reach out to this whole other group that hasn't necessarily been wicked, but who hasn't had an opportunity to hear about the gospel. And missionary work will continue in a beautiful way there in the spirit world. Nothing's final in the spirit world. This is a place where the, the work of salvation continues. And in First Peter chapter 3, we were introduced to this idea, at least in the New Testament, that that the gospel is being preached unto the spirits that are dead. Again, further evidence of God's plan of, of love, really. He loves his children, even, even those that didn't have a chance to receive the gospel in this life will yet have a chance in the spirit world. And to me, that is one of the greatest evidences that God loves, not just a few select of his children. He loves all of his children, all will have the opportunity to receive the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think missionaries don't have to feel that they have to spend a lot of time on this to keep it simple. So eventually, after the, the time that we spend in the spirit world, we will be resurrected and will be brought before the Savior to be judged. Um, we, we use the term salvation over from physical death to, to describe someone who will live forever. Another way to call that, I think, is immortality. I will live forever in a glorified, immortal, physical body. But what we're reaching for is something even more than that, and we want to end up living forever with God. And that term we call exaltation. The world confuses that. They they bring both concepts together. And salvation is given to me because of the atonement of Jesus Christ and the resurrection as a gift. I will be saved from death because I will be resurrected and be immortal. I will live forever. And be given a degree of glory. And we could say that all people will be brought back into the presence of God. All people will be restored to his presence. The atonement of Jesus Christ promises that. Now, the difference is whether I get to stay long-term. I think it's important to understand that we really are lined up with the, the doctrine of, of the Christian world. We do believe in that same salvation that they believe, 
But our message is there's something even more. And exaltation is a whole other level that God wants to give to us that, that's based on us becoming like him and being able to do the things that he, he does. And one distinction, I think, as we read in, in, on page 53, is exaltation means living with God forever in eternal families. And I think we have a great view of what that looks like, maybe better than all other Christian faiths. President Nelson taught, those qualifying conditions include faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repentance, baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, or receiving the Holy Ghost, and remaining faithful to the ordinances and covenants of the temple. That sounds like the doctrine of Christ to me. Yeah, and I think it highlights the importance of ordinances, that ordinances really are necessary for me to obtain exaltation. If we're willing to do what it takes to, to follow the covenant path, what Jesus Christ has for us is this incredible state called exaltation. Um, after the, the final judgment, we will be assigned to, to one of three kingdoms, um, either the celestial kingdom, the terrestrial kingdom, or the celestial kingdom. And it's in the highest level of the celestial kingdom where exaltation takes place. Uh, I'd just like to ask you to the question, if, if the terrestrial kingdom is a, is a beautiful degree of glory, and it doesn't require uh, some of the high, some of the things that we've been talking about, like ordinances or full repentance and so forth. Why is it that somebody would want to go to the effort to follow Christ to such a degree that they could be exalted? What is it that, that happens in exaltation that, that we should be doing anything and everything we can possibly do to achieve? I listened to a wonderful teacher once uh, talk about the celestial kingdom. Uh, and he, he said the celestial kingdom is a person. This was his idea, his vision of the celestial kingdom. And he said, and that person is my wife. That that's the celestial kingdom. To live with my spouse forever uh, in the presence of our Heavenly Father. And that, that touched my heart. I, I, I began to think about not the celestial kingdom as being a place where there are beautiful gardens and waterfalls and, and a golden, you know, golden streets that, that, that are paved in gold, but rather it's about relationships. It's about continuing the relationships that mean so much to me in this life. Those can continue in the next. And that's a relationship with our Heavenly Father as well. And this all comes full circle from where we began today as we were talking about the premortal life. This is what Heavenly Father wanted for us. This is why the plan was created, not so that we could receive some lower kingdom. He wanted to exalt his sons and daughters. He wanted us to have what he had. In the premortal life, we didn't have a physical body. In the premortal life, we hadn't gained experience. We hadn't developed the Christ-like attributes. We hadn't been refined. And so the, the beautiful message of the plan of salvation is that Heavenly Father saw the gaps that we had, and he wanted something more for us. And so he designed this plan, all these things that we've just described, so that one day we could be back in his presence and have all that he has. And that's, that's what it will be like. He'll always be our father. He'll always be the person we worship. He'll always be above us. But yet there we will be, just like, us, just like I'm now 
able to do a lot of the things that I used to look up to my dad and do. He had his career. He had his family. He had his house. Now I have my career, my family, my house. He's always my dad. I always look up to him. But I see that my dad wanted the same kind of a life for me, and that's what our Heavenly Father wants. And I think that is the ultimate symbol of his love. He was willing to sacrifice his son, Jesus Christ, so that all of us could be able to to have that incredible blessing. And that's the driving force behind why we do missionary work, is so that we can help Heavenly Father's children experience exaltation in his presence. There's nothing more important to understand that to try to teach this simply, uh, that we we lived with our Father in heaven. We're here to gain experience, and through the atonement of Jesus Christ, we can return to our Father in heaven. There you go. You just did it in 30 seconds. <laughs> what a beautiful, beautiful doctrine this is. We want the listeners to know that we want to provide episodes that meet your needs. And if any of you have any questions about anything that we've covered in any of our episodes up to this point, we would be happy to respond to your questions. You can email us at preachmygospelpodcast at gmail.com with with any of your questions. We'd also like to, to take any of your ideas that you have about future topics that you'd like to cover. We want to make sure that, that what we provide for you is helping to, to meet your specific needs. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Preach My Gospel Mission Prep Podcast and that it helps you in your study of Preach My Gospel and preparing you for your mission. Please join us for our next episode. And if you feel this podcast might be helpful to others preparing to serve a mission, please invite them to join us on our journey through and discovery of Preach My Gospel. For more information on how to get Institute credit for this podcast and other offerings by the Utah Valley Institute of Religion, please visit utahvalleyinstitute.com. You may also find us on Instagram at Preach My Gospel Podcast. Feel free to send questions or comments to preachmygospelpodcast at gmail.com. The Preach My Gospel Mission Prep Podcast is produced with the permission of the Utah Valley Institute of Religion. The hosts are expressing their personal views based on their own experiences, applying the principles of Preach My Gospel, and accept full responsibility for the content in these podcast episodes.